0: Hello and welcome to the Catherine Plano podcast. We have a new format of the show and it's broken up into four parts Moments of Awe, where I share actionable tips, strategies, and coaching models that you can implement in your daily life for massive improvements. Tips from my pen, where I share personal insights from my morning pages. The Paradigm Shift blogcast, where you can now listen to our monthly themed articles. And finally, purposeful conversations with our Radical Shifts series, where we have honest chats with change instigators, compelling creators, and interesting humans who are breaking the cycle of convention and redefining success one mission at a time. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of practical goodness. Today, we have another amazing guest for you, Amy E. Smith, the owner and founder of Joy Junkie Enterprises. Amy uses her roles as a coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals beyond limiting beliefs and sabotaging mindsets to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-love. With a cute focus on helping people find their voice, Amy uses her popular weekly podcast The Joy Junkie Show to address issues of worthiness, self-confidence and letting go of people pleasing to assist listeners in creating and living radically joyful lives. It's now time to tune in to Amy. Enjoy. So this morning, well, this morning, depends where you are at, at uh, which part of the world, actually, I'm Mm -hmm. super excited. We have Amy Smith. Welcome to the Radical Shift Summit. Yay. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, I'm super excited. So Amy, we always love to start with a juicy story. So tell us your story. How did you get to where you are today? Well,
1: I would say there's a, gosh, there's so many different avenues uh, that have been a massive piece of where I, where I am today. But I think probably the most pivotal story that relates greatly to what I do now and sort of the message that I, I talk about now happened about 12 years ago. It was when my, my father passed away. And uh, a bit of context, I grew up in a very, very conservative, born-again Christian family. And I have since realized that there were a lot of dogmatic and almost cult-like things that I was raised with. And as I've been able to kind of unpack that, I've seen it in a very different light than than what a lot of people think of as, as the Christian faith. And so I grew up in sort of this extreme, oh, very militant, upbringing in in many ways, like scholastically and home environment and church and all of those things. And uh, my father and I were extremely close. He passed away in 07. And uh, both of my brothers, I have two younger brothers, and they had both done jail time, had trouble with the law, never went to college or university. And, you know, I had been working since I was 14. I put myself through college. I got married when I was 20. I moved out of the house and had sort of my own life. And despite all of that, my mom really kind of lumped me in with my brothers as somewhat of a delinquent simply because I wasn't walking with the Lord. I wasn't a part of the faith that that she ascribed to. So the day of my father's viewing essentially of his service, I at the time had a background in makeup artistry. So I knew very clearly that I was going to perform his makeup for his viewing. So essentially mortuary makeup, makeup on my dead father. (laughs) And in addition to that, I knew that I really wanted to speak. At the service and because of his work and because of the impact that he had in the world there were hundreds of people at this service and I wasn't uh, as equipped to speak to large groups and especially not one that was so far from my own personal set of values and faith at that time and there was it was a, a very trying day to say the very least so that same day I get back to my mom's house after the service And she feels that it's very much the opportune time to tell me that she feels like they failed as parents. After I just did my dead father's makeup, after I just spoke to this group, uh, the child who had really made something of herself and never put you through those sleepless nights of, oh my gosh, they're in trouble with the law. And, And the only thing that I could really muster in that moment, also being consumed with my own grief, you know, I I kind of looked at her and just was like, you you probably shouldn't say that to a child, <laughs> you know. And she was like, well, that's just how I feel because you're not walking with the Lord. And and I, I kind of was like, wow, taken aback. And that was a very pivotal moment for me because although I had started my process with getting involved with personal development, that was when I really realized that there was. There were going to be times when speaking up for myself and choosing me meant that I might have to have some collateral damage, that there might be situations that are actually an ultimatum, that if it came down to, I either make you happy or I make me happy, I choose me. And the trajectory thereafter was really fascinating because I went through a phase where I was extremely combative. And adversarial and I wanted to argue and I wanted to talk about gay rights and I wanted to talk about global warming And I wanted to talk about all these things that I knew were in direct opposition to my mom Let's talk about astrology. Let's talk about and I wanted to Inflict pain and I was coming from a place of my own pain and then Gradually as I started flexing this new muscle of speaking up for myself It got far far less combative and I realized that there was a way to be extremely articulate, to be very affirmative and assertive, but to do that with the utmost grace and kindness that, and that really has been the evolution. That was the impetus, but now that's what I do and that's what I teach people how to do is to, first of all, really have that internal belief that your voice matters, that you're valuable, that you're enough, that you are worthy. And then the external piece of, well, what does that sound like then as far as tough conversations, saying no, speaking up for yourself uh, and boundaries? like What does that actually sound like to ask an adult child to move out of the house or to ask your spouse for a divorce or to tell your family that you are coming out of the closet or that you don't Uh, align with the religion you were raised under. So like really challenging topics that we kind of just hide behind these social uh, phrases that we have, like don't rock the boat and don't open up a can of worms. And so that really is kind of my journey. And now I'm, I'm so happy to say that my mom and I have a great relationship. However, a lot of it has had to be very surface level because the things that are of grave value to each one of us are in direct opposition. So we've kind of had to navigate, well, what does that look like if neither one of us are persuading the other to be
0: different? And um, yeah, so there you have it. That was the, (laughs) that's the beginning. That's super amazing. And I think with standing up for yourself is, is a big one. And I know it's even a big one for me. And I think that, the how piece is, is the missing piece for most of us. It's uh, I think we go into conversations without thinking about them. I think we don't plan or foresee yeah. what might, uh, you know, come out of these conversations. So how does one stand up for themselves yeah. without feeling guilty? That's another thing too because I know that sometimes you won't stand up for yourself because you're holding back on how you're truly feeling because you don't want to upset the other person. So what would be some steps for for our viewers today? Yeah.
1: Well, I, I really would like to take that into two separate pieces. One is addressing the element of guilt. So the the thing that happens, I think far more often than not, is that we allow ourselves to misname the emotion that we're feeling. So if we talk about guilt and what it's designed to do, it is designed to reroute poor behavior, right? So if I go out and slap somebody across the face for no reason, I should experience an emotion of guilt because that was kind of a dipshit mean thing to do, right? (laughs) And so I should be flooded with a conscience that says, hey, feel guilty about that. That wasn't correct. However, we allow ourselves to call it guilt in situations where we've actually done nothing wrong. So a perfect, like an extreme example would be somebody coming out of the closet feeling as though they cannot stand in their own authenticity because by virtue of sharing that with their family there will be hurt there will be pain now saying i feel guilt you haven't done anything wrong in that situation right so one of the things that i tell people to do if they struggle with guilt is to start renaming that emotion so the first the first element is to notice And I actually have a little acronym for it, which is NAC, N-A-C. So the N is for notice and name. So obviously you would name the emotion. I feel guilty right now. Ask is the A. Ask yourself, have I done anything wrong according to me? Because a lot of times we say, have I done anything wrong? Well, yeah, mom's going to think I've done something wrong. My coworker's going to think I've done my, you know... My executive is going to think, yes, but according to me, have I done something unbefitting of my character? And if the answer is no, then we need to rename that that guilt. And I'll give you a couple of suggestions in a second. But the final piece of the acronym is C, which is choose. And that's to be very vigilant about your choice of behavior, like to not go people please, to not go lie about... Cleaning up something that you really don't need to go clean up. Uh, And also choosing your own self talk and choosing that you are allowed to give voice to your wants and needs. The things that you uh, care about in this world are equally as important as everybody else's. So, what I suggest as a substitute for guilt is to say things like, I feel concerned. I feel empathy. I feel sympathy. I feel uncomfortable. I feel a lot of love towards that person. So I think if we can start untangling guilt, because it really is only warranted if you've actually done something wrong according to you. Um, So that's one piece of kind of awareness around that. Your other question of, well, how do we speak up for ourselves, right? Like how do we stand up for ourselves? Well, I happen to teach like a 12 week course. (laughs) So I'm going to try to distill this down into some key little nuggets. Uh, one of the biggest ways that that I use for myself is just to commit to this this mantra of not allowing my silence to make me a liar. And what I mean by that is to not allow any situation where I feign my compliance, when I don't really believe something, or I am really offended by something, or... Out of integrity, I just can't stay quiet. Uh, I had a situation. I'll give you an example. Uh, sometimes I do community theater in my spare time, and I was doing a theater show, and there was a guy who who was there with me, and he showed me this meme on his phone, and it was clear he thought it was hilarious, but it was extremely disparaging about a child with mental and physical disabilities, which to me is not a laughing matter, and. So in that moment, I'm faced with the decision of the easy way, which is to go, ha, 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 and not say anything, or to take the brave step and go, you know what? Actually, I I find that really offensive. I'd really appreciate it if you didn't show me those things in the future, which is what I chose to do. And so I knew in that instant that my silence would make me a liar. So that is one element that I would say anybody watching Look in your life. Where has your silence made you complicit with something that you don't believe in, that you don't ascribe to, that uh, is against your own ethical and moral code? Uh, And maybe who are those key players where you tend to silence yourself? Uh, Usually they are the people that we deem an authority figure or sometimes more often than not, it's family, people that we're really close with. And Something that you mentioned earlier, I think, is really important. I like to call it gearing up. And that's the preparation for a conversation or, you know, to say no or to have a boundary instilled. And one of the best ways to do that is to get out on paper what it is that you want to share, what it is that you want to say, you know. So I've been
0: rambling on. So (laughs) I'm I'm loving what you're talking about. And I find it, you know, I see this especially in women where they hold back from uh, speaking their truth or standing in their truth. And I just see it in general. Uh, people are silent about how they truly feel because they want to belong. They want yes. to connect. And so they don't stand in their truth. Like you said, I love the examples you gave. Yes. Uh, the other thing is, I'm a, I'll am be honest, I'm a recovering people pleaser. So I That's find it really hard to say no when I'm addicted to say yes. It's, a, it's just that non-conscious behavior it just comes out and then I realize I've done it again. I'm <laughs> saying yes to somebody else and no to me. So right. how do we become more conscious of these non-conscious behaviors? What are your tricks? Ooh, this is great.
1: Uh, well, w- with what you're saying, especially if that's your tendency and your pull to your gut response is yes, yes, yes. In fact, I, uh, you know, we've heard the term, the yes, man. I used to have a friend in California who called it being the totally girl. Right. So in California, which is where I'm originally from, I'm like totally, totally, I'll do that for you. No problem. And you're right. It's at oftentimes to a sacrifice of self. And one of the things that I think is really key is analyzing what happened earlier in your day. So even if you, at the very end of your day, can look in hindsight and go, did I have any gut responses where I said yes or I overcommitted to something? And then I would suggest doing what I like to call declaring the do-over, where you say, okay, the next time I'm, I'm presented with that request maybe it's a friend who wants you to help help them help you to help them move or maybe it's a project at work or something collaborative that's going to cost you a lot of time and energy you can look at yourself and go okay wait a minute is there any way that i could actually go to that person and say hey you know what i think i committed a little too quickly i would hate to pull out last minute or leave you hanging I don't know if I'm going to be able to come through the way you really need me to. And that's not fair to you. And I wanted to give you as much notice as possible. Now, some stuff you can't always pull out, but I think there are a lot of things that we think, well, I didn't say something before, so now I have to. And it's like, no, 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 you can go clean it up. You can say something different. What I would suggest as far as saying no, is I would start to condition asking buying yourself some time in any kind of way. So the minute somebody asks something of you to to have a go-to phrase like, how soon do you need an answer? Throwing it back on them, right? Or, you know what? I am going to need to check my calendar. Can I get back to you tomorrow? Or even at the very minimum... Can you hold that thought? I need to run to the restroom real quick. (laughs) You know, like if you can't think of anything, I don't give a shit what you say, just don't say yes. (laughs) But create create a statement, your go-to statement. And then one of my favorites, if somebody is presenting their information as totally emergent and urgent, and it isn't to you, and they're like, I really need an answer right now. Then I will say, you know what? Unfortunately, if you need an answer right away, I'm going to have to politely decline. Boom. My favorite line to use. I truly hope that you can understand. But as you can see, like the delivery is not bitchy, it's not rude, it's not mean, it's cloaked in kindness and love, but it's also very affirmative. Uh, And people appreciate that. They really do. We don't want a bunch of inauthentic liars around us. We want people who tell us the truth about things and say, No, I'm not available, or I'm not able to come to that. Please invite me in the future. I'm just not able this weekend. People really do value that versus overloading yourself and then having to pull out the last minute or being grumpy the entire time. So there's a couple of little nuggets.
0: Oh, I love that. And I've never thought about pulling out there and there. It's so much more respectful. And I see what you were saying, but I see people getting really annoyed. They've said yes. And then they get really grumpy and they um, they're resisting every ounce of their being doing what they need to do, but they've already said yes. So I love that. And that really kind of ties in with building boundaries, doesn't it? Right. I mean, well, and to your point,
1: usually what happens, like, so let's say, let's say it's somebody who overcommitted with friendships or they overcommitted with work. Guess who hears about it? Probably your partner, probably your kids get the brunt of that. That energy of being bitter that you had to shut down your voice there, it'll come out somewhere, right? It can come out as disease and ailments. It can come out as malice towards people that you love who are kind of unassuming. So yeah, there really is. There's a cost to saying yes chronically over and over again. Uh, So yeah, come up with a phrase. So as far as boundaries, I really feel that there there are three major elements to... Establishing boundaries, and it really, like, just to distill that down, like, what what the hell does that even mean? What is a boundary? Boundary is simply a choice about something that you will no longer tolerate. That's it. It's very easy. Delivering boundaries, though, are extremely challenging. So I I feel like there's three steps. The first is to decide really clearly on what is the boundary. The second is to deliver it. And that has everything to do with your communication skills and, and how you broach the conversation to begin with. And then possibly the most challenging that most people don't prepare for is the enforcement of the boundary. And that's when... The person breaches the boundary that you've established and you thought just by telling them and because you were all worked up and you finally had the, the guts to sit down and tell them what you had to tell them and you thought, okay, great. The hard work's done. And then they breached the boundary and you're like, shit, now what do I do? And you have to reinforce and go back and say, hey, remember when I said such and such? Uh, so I'll give you an example. I had a colleague that I worked with many years ago and her in-laws would tell her, if you bring the kids to stay with us, we're going to have them baptized into our religion. And (laughs) her and her husband were like, that's not how we want to raise our children. We really would love for you to spend time with them. You mean so much to us. That's just not something that we want. But over and over again, her mother-in-law would threaten that. So a very specific boundary in that situation would be, here's the deal. We love you so much. And we want our children to connect with you. It's not something that we're comfortable with. And it also feels kind of like a disrespectful move for you to not care about the way in which we want to raise our children I'm sure that's extremely challenging for you to understand given how much your faith means to you but we have really kind of drawn the line in the sand and we're asking very specifically that you don't bring up anything related to baptism or religion when the kids are with you And so that's another piece is being very specific about what you're asking for Mm -hmm. so that you know if it's been breached or not. Because you can't just say something ambiguous like, we just need you to respect us more. Well, what does that mean? What exactly does that look like? But if you say specifically don't mention anything related to your religion, don't mention anything related to baptism, and then you don't necessarily have to give an ultimatum at that point, uh, but you need to be prepared for that in the future of if this gets breached and how many times, how many chances do they get? And then what would we do? Right. So then you deliver it, you know, in a similar fashion, which is why it's important to gear up and visualize what you're going to say and how you're going to do it, practice it. Then let's say the kids report back that grandma told us about this story of, you know, in this religion or this baptism situation. And so you go, God damn it. Now I have to go and reinforce this boundary again. And that's where you have to really decide how many times am I going to give them this chance? Right. But you have to do that because if you don't enforce it, they go psychologically, the, the, the tendency is to think she didn't mean it. They didn't mean it. They, re- they were just throwing their weight around. They don't, they don't really mean it because you're showing them that you'll tolerate it still. So you have to say, hey, remember when we had that tough conversation about religion, I I really need you to hear me, that this is this is really of grave importance to us. And if it happens again, we're going to have to only have get togethers at our place. And that pains us to do that. Um, I think there's an alternative way, but we really need you to meet us halfway on this. So, that's sort of how it, what it would sound like. Um, yeah. So there's an example of boundaries. Not I, easy.
0: I love it. And I, how many chances do you give someone though? Like,
1: that really, really depends. I think if it's in your immediate household, that's when you, ha- like a spouse, things like that, you have to get really clear about how much longer into the future am I going to allow this? Like, could I be happy if nothing changes? Am I going to be okay in a year, in five years? Sometimes it's about really giving yourself a, a date. And it really, really depends on the nature of the relationship and how severe, or how, I, I, I guess I should say how important the issue is to you. And, uh, and what it costs you by waiting around for them to get the hint and actually respect you back. Uh, so I think it can
0: really vary, you Mm. know, it depends. Yeah. For me, I'm a three time convincer. So I think three, third time and you're out. That's the thing. The other thing is, I know you speak about stop, uh, apologizing and that's one of the things I do sorry, but do you remember the last time we had that conversation? So how does one, and I know that's another default position in women, especially, I see, especially in corporations, I'm really sorry, when, even with the way they start their emails, I'm really sorry to do So how does one stop apologizing? Ooh.
1: Well, this, there's so many great ways to take this, but even with what you shared just there, I think that substituting it with thank you Instead of, I'm sorry. So thank you so much for taking the time to read this. Or I really appreciate your attention here. You know, something like that, where you're not starting off with an apology. Start with gratitude. Start with thank you. Even, uh, I have heard some people say, um, you know, if you're running late, instead of saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so late, saying, thank you so much for waiting for me. I'm a little torn on that one because I feel like you did mess up. (laughs) that you should have been on time. (laughs) That is a respect issue for me. But the first item of business is noticing, is this something I need to apologize for? Have I made a mess? Or is this just my gut terminology that comes out of my mouth? I would guess more often than not, it's the latter. So taking a little inventory of like, wait a minute, do I need to even apologize for this? Another iteration of this, though, that I think can be quite menacing for many of us is not just straight up apologizing, but over-explaining. So, for instance, let's say you can't make it to a speaking event, or you're already booked, or you can't work on a project, and you feel like you have to explain all the reasons why and give them all of the information of why you're not available. You don't, know you don't owe anybody an explanation. You can just say, oh, unfortunately, I'm not available. Thank you so much for thinking of me, though. Done. You don't have to tell the whole story. And that can be really powerful just to say, oh, yeah, no, that's not going to work. But thank you for thinking of me. I think we get really stuck into this idea that we owe all sorts of explanations to everybody. and And we really don't. An example in my own life, uh, uh, I've been with my husband for 22 years. We have known from the very beginning that we didn't want children, which as you can imagine, people assumed that the only reason I got married young was because I was knocked up, which couldn't have been farther from the truth. And one of the things that I realized with that is people will ask you questions too. Like, well, what do you have going on? Or, Or, you know, well, why can't you make it? you're not obligated to ask, answer anybody's questions. So when people would say, why aren't you having kids? I would say, actually, that's something I don't feel comfortable discussing. I truly hope you can understand. Unless it was somebody who was in my intimate circle and I wanted to have that conversation. But you're not obligated to have a full-on explanation, even if someone asks you a question. So even if somebody says, well, what do you have going on? How come you can't be a part of it? Listen, I've already given you my answer i'm not available and again i i really do hope that you can respect that you don't have to get into full blown conversations but a lot of that is taking control over um the, over what you say and believing that you are worth saying those things right a lot of times we're it's it's a self worth thing like gosh well who am i to speak up or gosh i'm going to hurt people's feelings and wow And really what that is, is a subconscious message of everybody else matters more than me. Mm. So I better twist and contort and fit into what everybody else wants.
0: Yeah. So true. I'm listening to you, Amy, and you ooze confidence. Not only that, I think you're very conscious. You're not, I think you're very, very, um, you probably invest a lot of that time in that conscious part of your brain, your prefrontal cortex, where you're just constantly being present and therefore you're being able to act the way that you do because you're Super amazing at that. So how does one cultivate killer confidence like you? Oh, gosh. (laughs)
1: Well, that has taken me, you know, I do want to say this has taken me many, many years. So the person who you see before you, this was not just I was born this way. I have really been diligent about doing the inner work to believe in my worth. And that's not something I think that we can size up even in a telesummit. You know, I think it's something that for, for many people, it takes diligent study and years of work. However, I do think that there's some great hacks like confidence hacks. One of my favorites is to simply do something that makes you proud of yourself, whatever that is, whether it's making a phone call that you've been nervous to do, whether it's Doing a workout that you've been putting off forever, whether it's asking somebody to go to coffee with you, that you, uh, what if they say no? Something that you can just go, you know what, but I'm proud of myself that I did it. Anything related to personal sense of pride can help elevate that confidence. Another piece of this, which I'm not sure if you've ever seen the TED talk with Amy Cuddy yes. about, about posture, about our body and sort of the soma psychic or psycho somatic way in which our spirituality is affected by our physicality. So even if you stand in confident postures like the wonder woman pose, hands on the hips, or the victory pose that we know people will do a victory pose in the same way whether they are able sighted or sight impaired, they still do the same like movement, right? Uh there's all sorts of ones leaning back in your chair uh, but i would I would highly suggest watching that TED talk even if you can be in the bathroom in your in-law's house doing your power poses you know looking in the mirror and telling yourself positive things or if you're in the bathroom before you go into a boardroom meeting into a leadership conference or whatever the things that you can anchor into your body it's very very different difficult to uh, be discouraged when you're like this. And conversely, if you're kind of tightened up in a little ball, it's very hard to cultivate confidence that way, <laughs> you know? Or if you're in sort of a deflated posture. Um, so just a couple little hacks, but I would say at the nucleus of all of that is genuinely cultivating self-worth. And uh, and that's a big one.
0: you know. Oh, it's a definitely- massive one. Massive yeah. one. That's one that I'm still dancing with t- today. <laughs> yeah sure yeah so i love the joy junkie and i love the fact that there's this uh joy about you just the way you speak the way that you hold yourself just the energy what is your secret to staying so happy oh wow
1: Well, you know, what's fascinating is, you know, how a lot of times you'll be asked, like, what is success to you? You know, what is being a successful woman? What does that mean? And a lot of times we conjure up our work world or being partnered or having a really great domicile or something. And to me, it's always related to how I feel. I feel successful if I can feel happy or joyful as a constant. Now, not that it that I'm always there, definitely not always there. There's certainly some times that are quite challenging for me, but I shoot for kind of like an 80-20 ratio, right, where sometimes I'm down in the dumps, but I prefer to have the homeostasis being more at a joyful place. Gosh, there's so many, so many things that contribute to this, living on purpose, living with your in accordance to your values. But I think by and large in the personal development space, perhaps the most impactful piece of how we feel about ourselves is our self-talk. And it doesn't matter if you listen to this and you listen to a 45 minute snippet, if the other 23 hours of your day, you're talking shit to yourself all damn day. That will supersede anything that you try to infuse that's positive. So that's the one thing that we cannot escape. So even if we're reading, even if we're studying and we're doing these things, but we're not infiltrating that into both subconscious and conscious elements of our mind, then it's, it's futile. It's a futile effort. So that's oftentimes why people go, oh, I've tried that. Or I, I you know, I, I'd love to believe in myself. I just don't know where to start. You've got to start with your self-talk absolutely have to start with your self-talk. And you don't necessarily have to say shit you don't believe. You don't have to say, you're enough, or you're so beautiful, or you're so talented. In fact, one of the things that I advocate for is using something that I've termed uh, progressive language. So instead of saying, I totally love my body, or I am super confident in my business, saying something like, I'm exploring what it looks like to be confident in my body, or I am committed to cultivating confidence in my business so that you're saying I'm on my way. And it's much more palatable for our conscious mind and our critical mind uh, to adapt to that. Otherwise we create massive cognitive dissonance and then nothing's, nothing sinks in at all. But even starting by halting negative self talk. So, anytime you hear that incessant chatter about not good enough or that's not possible for you or imposter, just going, nope, not helpful, not helpful, not a helpful statement. You don't even have to turn it around. You could just start with an affirmative, like, no, thank you. Or T. Harvecker always says, cancel, cancel. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> cancel, Bye. cancel. Yeah. So, yeah, i
0: think i think when i hear myself and that goes back to you have to be conscious right and that's one of that's a practice in itself because everything's so fast-paced so we're on autopilot the whole time so to actually be able to be present with our thoughts and uh you know challenge your thoughts i mean are they mine or no thank you whatever that may be that does yeah. take practice right
1: oh my gosh yes in fact, I was just talking to one of my classes about it last night, and I said, when I first learned that that everything that was presented in my mind didn't have to be true, it was just presented as truth, my whole world exploded. I mean, this is kind of in the, the mid-2000s when I first went to coaching school. But I seriously felt like I was almost rocking in an insane asylum going like, wait a minute, what, whose thoughts are these? Whose thoughts are they? You know, and just very, like, what's happening? Because we're not taught that. We're never taught growing up how to contend with fear or to believe in ourselves or to stand in a confident posture or to be in alignment with our values. None of that shit we learn about algebra. Right? We need to learn about how to manage our money and we need to learn how to be fucking nice to ourselves. That's what we need to learn about in school. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So um yeah, I, I now I'm all off track. I don't even remember. Oh no, No,
0: but I'd like to I loved what you were saying and I, I think one thing that I'd like to really unpack is fear. Uh that's one of those things that we love to dance with. So how do you dance with fear?
1: Ooh. So fear is a tricky one. Fear is a tricky one because it's primitive, a primitive uh, emotional response. And what's tricky about fear is that we feel it when we're on to something, right? Like when we want to write a book and get published, but we're scared, or we want to do this incredible Leadership event, but we're terrified of speaking. So we'll feel the element of fear when our intuition is like you're on to something. And we also fear feel the element of fear when it's abort mission run for the hills, like you're actually in danger. So What what that really is, is about leaning into intuition, which I think is probably one of the hardest things to cultivate. It's one of the hardest topics, I think, in personal development because it's so intangible. But I think one of the best places is to look at, okay, I'm experiencing fear. How do I want to contend with it? So instead of being fearless, I like to use the term being fear-optimized which is basically to make as useful and as effective as possible. So if I'm going to have fear, no matter what, by virtue of being a human, I'm going to make it as effective as possible. So essentially what that means is looking at it and going, okay, cool, I see why I'm scared, and choosing courage anyway. Because fear will come any time something is new, period the first time you go to a brand new gym, the first time you start dating, the first time you have a baby, the first time you start your business, the first, all of that is brand new territory. So the mind thinks, oh my God, this is uncharted territory. This not must be unsafe. Send in the fear response. So then that's our job to go, oh, no wonder I'm scared. This is just fucking new. I get it. Okay. And then I love to talk to it and go, thank you so much for taking care of me. We're actually not in danger. I've got this. We're good. I know you're noisy because this is scary. I get it. Thank you for trying to protect me. Um, We're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. But fear like that can be almost like a little child being like, mom, mommy, mom, mommy, mom, 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 mommy, pay attention, pay attention. And if you just say like, hey. I hear you. Of course you're scared. I get it. It kind of goes, okay, (laughs) you know, and shrinks down. Um, So I, I definitely think there's an element of recognizing the fear and choosing courage anyway, when courage is being called for sometimes retreat is being called for because you are in danger, like a dangerous relationship or something like that, that's coming up for you. But I think when you look at it and you really unpack it and you go, no, I just, I'm scared of being seen or I'm scared of really throwing myself into this relationship and getting hurt. Okay. I'm going to choose courage anyway. And what does that look like? What does it sound like? What are the behaviors that need to follow suit? So yeah, that's a tricky one though.
0: Mm, I love that. It's because you're actually, it's the meaning we give it, right? You're saying it's, it's have a look at it. It's just new. And I think that just takes away the fear itself. by just saying it's okay. It's just because it's something new. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. So you are an amazing manifester. So for one that wants to create abundance, what would be some tips that you would like to share with them? Ooh.
1: Oh, my gosh. I have so many things. I could do a whole segment on this. I think one of the, one of the most pivotal things for me was looking at money as a friend, as an entity. You can do this with your body. You can do this with all sorts of things. But think about if we were in a relationship with with a partner and we told them all the time, you're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. Even when they were coming to your rescue, you would keep telling them you're not enough. That's exactly what we do with money even though we don't want to have to send it to the government for taxes, even though we don't want to have to spend it on medical bills or a refrigerator that just broke, it came to your rescue and then we get mad at it. (laughs) We're like, but you're not enough. I still don't have enough. So if you can start separating your circumstance from money as an entity, that can be huge. So it's okay if you don't like your medical situation you don't like that your refrigerator just broke down. Yeah, that, that can be shitty all damn day. But don't get it twisted. Your money is what came to the rescue. Your money bailed your ass out. So in those situations saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am so sorry we had to put you towards this. Every time I write bills to uh, this government <laughs> in our country, <laughs> so embarrassing. Every time I send like my taxes and things like that, I, I talk to my money like it's a human. And I'm like, I am so sorry. We have to send you over there. Lord knows they're not going to spend you well, but I can't (laughs) thank you enough for going on my behalf. You're keeping me out of jail and you're keeping me an upstanding businesswoman. And I don't have to like the scenario of our government or the situation. I don't have to like the situation, but I don't want to mar my relationship with abundance and money. So even, uh, When I go get groceries, the smallest little things, I act as though somebody bought that for me. Money showed up. And I'll just say, thank you so much for getting all my groceries. You're the best. Always come through for me. So that that relationship is solid. Uh, Just the same way it would work with a real human. Um, So I'll leave that as sort of something for people to play with because that that was huge for me to change.
0: I love that. I've never heard of it that way and I actually got a bit of a visual that you had this uh, almost like this invisible friend that was money. Yes. It, I is. Love it's that. Oh, it is. It's, it's energy. It's just energy. Yeah. Absolutely. So Amy is there anything that you would like to leave for our viewers any uh, any magical tips that you would like to leave for our audience today?
1: Oh, yeah, there's two
0: things. First is Nothing
1: changes unless you actually do something about it. So especially when it comes to personal development and things like this that are really great ideas, I like to say don't be a collector. Don't just consume and consume and consume and do nothing with it. You could read every book on Pilates and have every understanding of that, but that's not going to get you ripped abs. You have to get down and hit the mat and start doing some 100s and actually doing the work. So what I mean by that is don't just shut down your laptop after this or turn off your phone. Think about what's one thing that you've grabbed from today that you could actually implement. Could you start with a new mantra that you want to say to yourself? Could you start calling guilt something different? Could you think about who might need a boundary or two? What can you do? What will you do so that you don't just go, oh, that was cool. And then go right back to your everyday life. The other thing that I would say is be extremely compassionate with yourself on your journey. The confidence that I bring kind of to the table, please know that is at least 15 years in the making. So even as I speak about this stuff, that seems as though I've got it on lockdown, it has been such a treacherous road, let me tell you. So any baby step deserves to be celebrated. Any baby step, even saying, I actually found that offensive, and then running away, you know, any little small step is huge. Catching one negative thought. Yes, you are doing better than perhaps if you hadn't caught it, right? So being compassionate with your your journey.
0: Oh, I love that. That's really easy. It's all about taking action. So Amy, as we wrap up, we've got three rapid fun questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So what's the first thing you notice when you meet someone? Oh gosh.
1: I, I'm very visual. So it's, it's how they look period. But I never, ever, ever noticed teeth the weirdest thing. I, people are like, I got my braces off. And I'm like, you had braces, but I definitely take in things visually. Um, probably eyes, I think. Yeah. I think that's what I would say. Okay. And yeah. if you were a superhero, what would be your powers? Flying for sure. I have, <laughs> since I was a little girl. I have always wished that I could sprout wings and just fly around the neighborhood. Um, um. I know it would be great to know people's thoughts or do something for the good of humanity, but I would love to fly.
0: (laughs) I love that. And what is one item you can never live without? Lipstick. Oh, (laughs) love it. Absolutely love it. Amy, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. You've been absolutely a delight, very energetic, and I'm sure all our viewers and listeners are going to reach out to you. You're just amazing. Thank you so, so very much for your time and your energy. Thank you. thank you for having me. It was a blast. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please click on share show with your friends to help make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world – to learn and grow then the best way to get involved is to click on follow show or leave a review on itunes so that we can give you a shout out on the show if you have been a long time listener of the show you know we are big on delivering content that is valuable for you content that will address your pain points So if you have any questions or ideas for a podcast show, please reach out and we will create the content to meet your needs. Yes, you heard right. If you have topics, themes or special guests that you want to hear from, please send us a note to support at kathrynplano.com.au, and we will create a show especially for you. Wherever you are in the world, sending you love, blessings and peace. Namaste.